Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Another light topic today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're good at those. Wednesday's show is the... Our Terror Talk show is sometimes light and sometimes dark. <laughs> Correct. And today it's pretty dark, and last week it was pretty dark, so... We're in the August darkness is what's happening. It's, mm-hmm. it's so light outside that we need to make it dark in here. Yeah. Today on the show, we're going to talk about kids who kill. I wanted to start off by this guy, James Fairweather. Have you heard of this guy? He's uh, a, he was a British schoolboy who was found guilty of murder, murdered two people that we know of. He also discussed his motive as being psychosis. It was rejected by the court, but that's what he claimed is that he was being told to kill these people. So let me just tell you briefly the murders. In March of 2014, he killed a man named James Atfield, who was 33 years old and who was suffering from a brain injury. So sad. Yeah, I know. This guy was stabbed to death. I guess he fell asleep in the park after drinking at the pub and was stabbed to death in Essex. Three months later, in June, this kid, James Fairweather, stabbed Nahid Amania, a 31-year-old Saudi student of the University of Essex, who was walking, and he just came up behind her and stabbed her to death 102 times. In fact, a lot of the wounds, they said, were superficial, where he was poke, 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 instead of the ones that would kill you. So I don't know if he was, uh, yeah, we don't know. He was a teenager and he was apprehended while he was planning to the third murder in May. So a couple, May, 2015, a year later, he was planning a murder and he was in the bushes, like hunting this person and he was caught. And in January of 2016, he pleaded responsible for both deaths and in April of 2016, he was found guilty of both murders and sentenced to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 27 years. Currently, he is 23 years old. He's born in 1999, so I guess he'd be 25 now. Yeah, 25. This, oh. Yeah. Okay. I guess during the trial, mm. it was revealed that he was obsessed with serial killers. Yeah. And had researched those who had pleaded guilty to manslaughter or like by reason of diminished responsibility. And during his confession, he told detectives that he heard voices in his head to like mm. try to use mm-hmm. this as a thing mm. like you had just mentioned. But it, according to one of the witnesses, they were like, no. And Fairweather's claims of hallucinations were, were fabricated in an attempt to do that. I just want, I want to say something about that really quickly, just sure. because, you know, we talk about true crime. We love horror you could easily call us obsessed if if you were to turn it into a judgment as well as i think many of our listeners yeah and i i think it's important for people to know that um at least some of the research limited research that i've done talks about how when our obsession with true crime or horror or serial killers becomes problematic it has everything to do with what perspective you are taking. So like if you are taking the perspective of envying the killer and getting into the mind of that killer, and that's what you're obsessed about, the rape fantasies, the the sexual sadism, the torture porn of the seventies. If you're obsessed with like that and, and 
glorifying and sensationalizing the killer, you might have a problem. Mm-hmm. Or the actual crime. Or the actual crime. You become obsessed with the photos or That's this right. or that or the other. Yeah, That is very different from, for example, you and I have talked about women oftentimes watch it as a way of understanding and mm-hmm. sort of protecting ourselves because and having we're knowledge so often of. the victim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, cause I think there's this, there is this conversation that's happening is how much true crime is too much. And are you obsessed and you're going to kill someone? And it is really not a cause and effect like that. No, no, it's in a, and it's a good conversation to have. I appreciate the culture gut checking people. I, I think that's mm-hmm. a good thing, but I also know that it's also can be, escapism yeah it can also be my life is better than that it can also be all kinds of things being close enough to it without experiencing it my part in it is i always fascinated with people puzzles yeah and always have been and it just so happens psychology is obviously a people puzzle industry so if you listen to any of the true crime stuff that I've done on here specifically where I've done the research, it's all about their childhood and how it was developed. Like I don't honestly give a shit about the crimes later. That's a part of the thing that we have to talk about because it's important to know how those qualities played out in, in a violent manner because obviously not all psychopaths kill people. Right. It's a part that we always have to get to and talk about and we always have to get to like what happened to them and were they sentenced and where are they now and all of that because it finishes off the story. But, you know, if I had my druthers like I did with Jim Jones, I'm just going to talk about zero to 18 because that's where it's created. That's right. (laughs) That's the interesting part to me. Well, you bring up. Yeah, you bring up the psychology of it, which I think is important to talk about. And I think there's also this idea that I that children are innocent just be, and I think a lot of right. that comes from blank slate and yes. even Christianity and all these things, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, I don't know. Christians, I guess would say that we're born into sin, but you know, my point is there's this idea that children are innocent. And the truth is, is like, I think that's a nice idea, mm-hmm. but children really aren't. <laughs> no, we've talked about that <laughs> yeah. before where, mm-hmm. you know, when we've talked about the, the rearing of some of the more violent psychopaths we've talked about on the show, they were often not acting very innocently as no. children. They were also mostly being abused That's right. and tortured and treated like an awful being. And we know that that contributes to what happens in the brain and how we act later in life and all of that. But not everybody who's abused turns into a psychopath. And so. not everybody who's a psychopath was abused. That's and right. so this is where, so we know that if a child is abused significantly, it does change the brain Mm -hmm. it can cause lesions on the brain we also know that you know we look at somebody like richard ramirez where they still the night stalker which they think it's possible that his form of epilepsy also affected areas of his brain that made him more sadistic and so they were talking about this james fairweather guy being autistic and that that was part of the fixation i don't know if he was autistic or not i have no idea or if he is autistic or not Yeah, I mean, the only correlational link, and this is really grasping, is kids who are autistic struggle with cognitive empathy, Mm -hmm. okay? But cognitive empathy is different from affective empathy, right? So psychopaths have cognitive empathy. They don't have affective empathy. right? So what I'm saying here is, although kids with autism might struggle with cognitive empathy, which is 
understanding how they may have difficulty putting themselves in someone's shoes to know that maybe they are doing something offensive or hurtful. But once it's explained to them, they have the capacity for affective empathy, which is to then care about yes. what they, because a lot of autistic kids are incredibly empathic once they understand. A psychopath has the cognitive empathy. They know exactly what they're doing, but they lack the affective empathy, which me, which is what makes them so dangerous is I know what it takes to hurt you. I just don't care. Right. Super different. You see that context, you guys, that is so different. And I also want to say that they were talking about the fixations being a piece of it. And also when you watch the videotapes of this kid talking and about his crimes, because he immediately confesses. Yeah, I did that. You know, like it's that mm -hmm. it's that matter of factness that we see sometimes that can seem like a lack of empathy or a lack of feeling guilty. And yep. that's not necessarily that's right. what it was. And also in the interrogation, he immediately tells them everything that happened and he gets up and demonstrates it and stuff. That's odd. Yeah. That's not a common thing. It's odd. And one of the people talking, you know, kind of breaking this down was sort of saying that she thought you see how he's in. It seems like he's enjoying it. Talking about it without any affect. Here's what doesn't add up for me that he would then know to say he was hearing voices. Mm -hmm. if, if he was autistic, then, and we're using that as he just didn't know, he didn't know he was harming someone to this degree, it was because of his fixations, then why would he have gone to such a degree to plead insanity? Agreed. So that's where it gets like, lost on me. Like either who planted that idea that's in right. his head to say that. And they're saying he did because of his obsession. And or... Is he saying the and and I've seen the tapes? He says, "I heard a voice, and it said this, that, or the other." Like he says all of that in his interrogation. So yeah, I agree. It doesn't quite jive. We're on the topic of mental illness, so I just wanted to share. I I was doing some research for today's topic, and it's stuff that you and I've talked about before. But I I was a bit shocked. I came across this article that was a you know. I don't know if it would be considered empirical, but it was a journal and uh, of some sort. I'm not even going to say what it was, but they were connecting schizophrenia to serial killing um, and saying that there's, you know, there's this high correlation. But this has not been my experience when I've worked with folks with schizophrenia who have taken the life of another person. To me, it's not a true statement. So if we're defining serial killing by you know, three or more separate victims. Right. The FBI definition. Right. Yeah. The FBI, which is three or more unrelated, right. Folks at different times. There, they, this article says that schizophrenia is one of the most commonly diagnosed illnesses in serial killers. So I, I would have to disagree with that unless they're saying that the serial killer just also happens to have schizophrenia for mm. the reason that my experience, and I can only speak to my experience is that people with schizophrenia who have killed someone mm -hmm. it's because they've had a command auditory hallucination that's instructed them to do that typically because there's been some religious 
paranoia. They're asked to kill their parents or their father. Oftentimes it might be influenced through ideas of reference, which like they're watching TV and they think that, you know, the color on the TV symbolizes murder and they need to go out to do it. Mm. But it's really, or, or they'll kill someone out of um, a perceived self-defense. They feel like they're getting attacked. People with schizophrenia don't necessarily have an agenda nor are they sadistic. So I have found that when people with schizophrenia have committed a murder, it's kind of like a one and done, unless it's like uncontrollable and they don't get caught. But I want to be clear that someone can have a mental illness and that doesn't mean that they're legally insane or that that they were under the influence of their symptoms when they committed the crime. So that that piece of research to me just seems a little bit like a blanket statement that doesn't add up to how what my experience with people who have schizophrenia uh what it's been yeah like you would want a lot more research yeah, to be well, convinced it, it, of that's that. right it just seemed a little i'm like that is not at all like serial killers the majority of the time have some level of antisocial personality disorder narcissistic personality disorder they may Maybe they have schizophrenia too, but that's not what's causing yeah. the murder. Well, and it's really interesting just from a non-research-based, from my experience, right? Like sitting with a strictly, I have sat with strictly schizophrenic people is a very different affect experience, affective experience for me than sitting with someone who's violent and delusional, one hundred percent, which I have also sat with. So, it's a very different experience. Now, that's not evidence-based, you know. But research. you're not wrong. I'm just exactly like I'm just saying. Like it is a I cannot. It is just something that you get a lot of experience in our industry doing. Usually, if you work with severely mentally ill. Now, not every therapist works with SMI, so not every therapist is going to have that experience. But it's so different. And what I the other thing I was thinking when you were talking was. Maybe they're getting confused between schizophrenia and just strict delusion. That's what I would think because delusions can certainly mm -hmm. create these violent fantasies. Because that's what I was thinking of like, okay, while you were talking, I was like, how do I want to articulate how different it is? And one of the things I'm, I'm flashing on one particular person who was, had violent fantasies and definitely had delusions but would not fit the definition like would not fit the diagnosis for schizophrenia, but would fit the, would fit the markers for potential violent offense. Delusional had killed animals because believing that they were going to kill him, you know, those violent delusions, not schizophrenic, like not right. those markers of schizophrenia. And so what I think is that colloquially in our culture, people are confusing delusions I, with schizophrenia. I would agree. Yeah. I, would, I would totally agree. I think it's a great way to differentiate maybe, maybe. that. I, so I read a study led by Minnesota professor Thomas Joseph Bouchard, Bouchard has shown that psychopathy is 60% inheritable. So when people ask, you know, what's the difference between someone considered more sociopathological than psychopathological psychopathy is typically genetic neurodevelopmental or neurological where sociopathy tends to be more 
environmental, although they overlap to a degree, but they are very different in all other ways in their presentation. So the statistic shows that psychopathic tendencies are due more to DNA than upbringing. And that, that in 1993, Dutch professor Han Bruner discovered an MAOA gene mutation, which is now better known as the serial killer gene. So serial killers are wired differently. Sociopaths, not necessarily. They have a combination of most oftentimes narcissistic personality disorder and some of these antisocial traits, right? Serial killers, though, they, they, they're wired differently due to either in utero abuse genetics or a combination of genetics and severe abuse. So when they say, okay, well, you just said it's not caused by environment. Well, that that's, that's right. So what happens is if the serial killer gene is already there and they have something that triggers the onset of the gene that's there, like severe childhood abuse, they are then more likely to open that proverbial gate for their psychopathy, maybe to start young right? Or younger, or it turn into something more pathological. So serial killers typically have severely abusive childhoods that lead to the extreme fear of abandonment, which makes them desperately seek out the possession of another. So in death, these victims really can don't ever leave them. We saw this with Jeffrey Dahmer who consumed his victims and Ted Bundy would revisit his victims and take a piece of their clothing or jewelry as a trophy or memento, something that would symbolize that symbiosis although only one person was really experiencing it because the other one was dead. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is this like, and we saw this with Dahmer, he would literally ingest th- their bodies as a way of making sure they never left him. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I mean, it's the sociopathy piece and the psychopathy piece definitely overlap. And I think sometimes it's hard to truly, truly know unless you were to do like an MRI. Yeah. I mean, for us, for people even more experienced than us, it's going to be a judgment call mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like you can do a lot. You can do a lot. You can test a lot. You can do yeah. an MRI. And then at the end of the day, there's there's a conceptualization that happens out of education. Yeah. And that it's not because what we know about the brain is like, this much that's right like a tiny bit <laughs> so we can't determine if it happened in utero <laughs> yeah, although i will know. say with psychopaths you de- definitely see much less of a if at all a fear response mm-hmm. where sociopaths you still see that fear response because yeah. the narcissism is present there's not always narcissism to couple psychopathy but with sociopathy it's there's there is that inherent narcissism you know when you look at ted bundy he was a sociopath he yeah. was so reactive he was so mm-hmm. emotional he mm-hmm. was such a narcissist that is very different from your like reptilian and just calm just artificial intelligence sitting in front of you yeah and we and we've tried to delineate that yeah. in everyone we've it's done complicated because then you talk about richard ramirez and right. very mentally ill yeah so it, it, yeah yeah that's it's what complicated makes, people that's, it's complicated and that's what makes it interesting yeah for sure so I know you also watched uh, Britain's Deadliest Kids, a documentary. Was that any good? I watched some of it. I didn't get through all of it just for time reasons, but it is good. And it um, they so Fairweather, our guy from the beginning here, they talked about him. They also talked about another kid by the name of Will Cornick. Mm. This case on uh, was really devastating. So this he was a teenager at the time. He killed Anne McGuire who was his teacher and he, he winked at a friend 
gets up, walks over to a Spanish teacher's desk, Anne McGuire, stabs her seven times and returns to his seat as if nothing happened. He was 15 when he kills her and he pleads guilty to the murder. Leeds Crown Court heard that he never expressed remorse and told doctors at one point he was proud of the attack. In my eyes, everything I've done is fine and dandy. So going by what you and I were just talking about, this kid did not have a bad upbringing, but he had very deep-seated anger. And we know that when I was watching this, we find out that he had in some way, shape, or form been rejected by this teacher. So we know that humiliation and rejection to someone who, or shame, (laughs) who is very angry and that's unprocessed and that's just like, and maybe has violent tendencies for one reason or the other. They become detached from what they do. They feel very justified in what they've done. There's probably some persecutory ideation, meaning that they, like a woe is me, right? That thing, the world is doing something to them. So with this kid, that was a good example of like, no, nothing going on in the up, nothing environmental. It's interesting because these cases, some of these cases were so different where I think a lot of the ones we watch, it's like they all have this horrible upbringing. And with Fairweather and Cornick and some of these other kids on this dock, it's like, but there was an absence of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I was reading some things where they talk about one of the major motivations for kids who kill is this sort of, personal dislike and then wanting that that person disposed of Mm -hmm. like just um i think one of the articles i read was like personal dislike and disposal because of them not being a mature Mm -hmm. of a mature brain or age or emotional capacity it's like you've hurt me it's very black and white like you've hurt me and i've got to dispose of you i've got to take you out and the only way i uh, this is the way i'm going to do it yep like, and yep. we've all felt that not, not a murderous rage, yeah. but we've all felt like if you just went away, were erased from the world, yeah. I would be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Another kid I wanted to just mention, I didn't know it was that those are, those were the two stories you watched in mm-hmm. the Britain's deadliest mm-hmm. kid. It sounds interesting. I yeah. wonder, uh, it, you can it, find it on YouTube. It's like yeah. two hours long. So was the stuff that I, I kind of watched about these kids just to get a sense of the story to have a jumping off point. All, all of it was on YouTube. So that was good. The other kid though, I did want to mention briefly is this kid, Amarjit Sada, who's Indian. So sad. This kid, uh, (laughs) I don't know where to start. (laughs) He was a a little tiny kid. He was an eight year old boy and he's, Known colloquially, I think, as the youngest serial killer, which I don't know that that's true. I know that there's been kids who've killed that young all over the world. But also I know that some countries have kids that young in armies and and that kind of thing. We're not talking about that. We're talking about who they branded as a serial killer. And he was labeled actually at eight years old as a sadist by psychologists. Now, that's not something we do. No. Right? No. (laughs) Although his... But that's where that, crimes are. Pretty, I mean, when you read about him, it's like, uh-huh. I mean, it feels congruent. So I get why that may have happened. But what ended up happening was this kid murdered babies oh. and and other kids, murdered a baby, murdered his cousin, neighbor's kid too. Neighbor's right? kid. So what was happening in this community 
in Bihar, India, was that they knew about the cousin. The family knew that he had murdered the cousin and pushed it under the table because they thought, this kid is so young. He doesn't know what he did. And that happens a lot right. in this country as well. And it happens to be true right. some, you know, a lot of the time. So I, I understand. But so it, under the table with that, because oh, he's so young, he didn't know what he was doing. Then this baby goes missing. And, and that doesn't happen every day. And that does not happen every day. This baby goes missing in this small town. And they start asking around. The mother's obviously frantic and asking around who can help me, who can help me. And then someone, this family actually leads them to this boy. We think somebody might know. He might know. Because obviously everybody knows this kid is a psychopath at this point. That's how they experience him. Yeah. No empathy. And this kid will know. <clears throat> you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So the kid talks to police and says, yes. I know where the baby is or whatever. And the reason why I know is because I killed it. Jeez. Like said it like that. At least that's how they portray it. And then they didn't believe him. So because they didn't believe him, he says, well, I'll take you to the body and takes them to the body where he's buried this dead baby and says, see, I killed it. That is so, when I was reading this, it, I felt, usually I feel like really gross and it's creepy i felt so sad by this story it's really sad and there's pictures of him and he just looks like a very sad child very much so so then what happens <laughs> if you can believe it is they they don't believe him all of that they don't believe him and they don't do anything about it and they go on yeah they hide it and then he kills somebody else, like his sister or something, or a neighbor or something. Well, I think they find out, at least from what I read, is the uncle or the father had known, the family had known that he had killed the cousin, and they hid it, mm -hmm. denied it. So then he yeah. goes on and kills these other kids. Right, right. They knew about the cousin. Yeah, I, exactly. They knew about the cousin, and then they knew about the baby, and then... Jesus. And then he goes on to kill others. Mm. and you said you were looking up like where is he now kind of thing and it they, yeah, don't, they, they don't, don't know they don't know well it i mean it does say you know they followed through with it where but he wasn't given he was imprisoned in a children's home where he remained until the age of 18 which is required by yeah. indian law it says he was he was released in 2016 and no one knows where he is now so he went off to a children's home until then i guess mm-hmm but, oh, my God, the Sun reported, uh, the Sun as an S-U-N, the magazine, oh, yeah. or a paper, reported that a psychologist said that the boy had no sense of right or wrong. So, you know, we also don't know what his level of competency was, but the fact that he took villagers to the site where he tried to bury the bodies, it just seems so... So earlier when I was talking about psychopathy and that just kind of like no affect. Yeah, you know. he was pretty flat. And he was very matter of fact when sharing his crimes and he never tried to deny anything. He just said, yeah. Yeah. And I'll show you the body. Oh my gosh. It's just so sad. I, this one, I don't know, just hit me differently probably because he was so young. And then also just the, imagine the, the terror of these parents to know that their son killed their eight month 
baby sister. Awful. Awful. Without any sort of affect? I yeah. mean, that, that's something straight out of a horror film. I know. So it was the cousin. It was the baby from the person that just was in town like that, that had come to stay. She gave him the baby. He kills that baby. And then there was... He killed his sister. He, yeah, later he kills his eight-month-old baby sister. That's right. The last victim was a six-month-old girl who was their neighbor. And then the six-month-old neighbor. Oh, there God. you go. There you go. Unbelievable. Good God. It was very sad, and nobody knows where this guy is. So there's that. You're welcome. You're so welcome. He's somewhere in India, I would imagine. And, uh, and has become a... You know, like a mythological creature probably there. Yeah. You know, an urban legend almost, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. When they disappear like that. Very creepy. Kids who kill. I'm wondering if, I think it's rather rare, kids who kill. And oh, I, think, I think so, yeah. I think it's rather rare. And so I just want to say that at the end of this here as a last, as a parting thing, <laughs> is that this is incredibly rare. It's very rare to have schizophrenic children. It's very rare to have psychopathic children. But they do exist. Mm -hmm. So just know that. And if, if there's anything that you suspect or you're worried about, just please do it the engage some professionals to help you with that deduction because it is a specialty mm -hmm. it's also not just something that any psychologist can do mm -hmm. it's a specialty if you have a youth in your life that you're scared of suspicious of you think is really struggling with these kinds of feelings please look for a specialist in this area yeah because not all of us would be able to discern what's going on. That's so, right. But thank you so much for listening to this episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.